I'm going to pray, but we're going to begin in Revelation chapter 1. I'm not sure exactly. I know I can't do five chapters in, um, in half an hour, but I do want to address wherever the Lord takes me. There's a couple spots I already saw we could uh, launch from, and I don't want to uh, launch prematurely. That's why I'm really glad, glad that next Saturday we've got time. We've got uh, Jan Kuski and Kathy McCoy to share too, and there's it's going to be very thorough, and it's going to get some uh, st- strengthening. You know, in, th- in Titus chapter 2, it's we, the, the, the second coming of the Lord, the coming is called the blessed hope. And back in the, uh, in the uh, uh, latter rain movement back in the 50s, it was declared, I read an old writing a long time ago, changed the way I anticipated the Lord. He said, uh, the Lord is going to appear in his church before he appears for his church. That's why the rapid maturity must take place of our submission, surrender, agreement, coming into truth and the spirit. All that's happening. But then the second thing which is true is Jesus is going to appear for his church. And then he's going to appear with his church. And those seven years before, between are going to be glorious. We're going to go through the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to get things settled and set in place. We're going to walk in living, glorified bodies. They'll never, never go immortal. They'll forever be immortal. They'll always be immortal, uncorruptible. It's going to be glorious. We're going to have a marriage feast, and then for the honeymoon, we're going to get on white horses and run, come into the church, earth, and take it over. Just put it back in God's design and millennial room. So it is a blessed hope. It, it, there's the hope that, and it does cause a purity in our heart because when you begin to anticipate, it's anticip- he, he changes the way we act and the way we live. There's uh, three parables Jesus gives in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. He gives the parable of the ten virgins, which speaks to being, having the oil to be able to respond when the bridegroom comes so that you can enter in in, in that moment. Second is to the parable of the talents, where, where uh, he goes off to receive a kingdom, but he gives us resources, and he then asks us, what did we do with what he gave us? So there's that, I want to be fruitful when he comes. And then lastly, at the end of the, uh, at the tribulation, there'll be that... Uh, judgment of the nations, and then it'll be, what did we do for the least of them? So, uh, Revelation begins, it's, it, most people say it was written about 96 AD, 90 AD, so about 60 years after Jesus' uh, resurrection. It could be the last book of the New Testament, or it could have been even the epistles followed, I'm not sure, no one knows for sure, but it was uh, John who wrote it. I want to begin in verse 1 because I, I would just, the, the reason we're taking Revelation and taking the book of Hebrews to the month of August is that Revelation is the, la, is the coming of the Lord and Hebrews is the maturity of the church to accept Jesus in his fullness of who he is. And, and this begins in Revelation the same way. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. I love the way our Lord can step in and out of relationship. He's the one, he's the son of God. He's the son of man. He is a man. And God, his father, will show, he gave him a revelation to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. That's a whole lot of communication. This is an important letter. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. This is John 
This is John who is bore witness to the word and the testimony. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep, which means value. Don't lose sight of them. Don't lose, don't lose them. Hold them. Keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So there's a blessing just right there out of the gate, just by hearing, just by uh, reading, by keeping and holding those things. Even if you, like, I wanted to tell the story. I know what I wanted to tell you, and you messed me all up, but it was so, when we were young, I mean, really young, before we were married, we were in a ministry, and about 1980, I think it was pretty much, yeah, because we got married in 81, and we were all excited about listening to the Word constantly, and so we, we, got, we got a whole New Testament on 8-track. You remember what an 8-track is? That's before the cassette. <laughs> The reason we got it on 8-track is, you know, if you ever remembered an 8-track, it never stopped playing. So we all just started distributing it to everybody and everybody who, you know, there was a guy's uh, section on the third floor. There was the main living space, eating and offices and the second floor. And down, downstairs was the, the, the ladies, the girls' place. And I don't know how it was, but Cammie's room got, ended up with the book of Revelation. And they, 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 I remember you coming and said, can we get another book? I mean, we're waking up to hearing dragons and, and beasts. And, you know, it's like, it's like too much, too much. But there is a blessing. So you, that's one of the reasons you're so blessed, because you're in the book of Revelation while you're sleeping. So he goes on. He says, John, to the seven churches who are in Asia, grace to you and peace from God to him who is and who is and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, listen to this description of our glorious Lord, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, not the lastborn, the firstborn, where many of us now have been born into this life-giving spirit, the ruler of the kings of the earth, so as he stands today, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's what we just experienced again, again. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Or a kingdom of priests or priesthood of kings. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. That is a very strong counter. That's the second coming of Jesus. It's going to be very impacting to Israel especially. Very impacting. It's not going to be something that it's, it, there's going to be a real national repentance and the readiness and recognition of this glorious Messiah. And that mourning is a strong word in the Greek. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, now this now puts us in context of this letter. I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I need to pause there. For a long time, I thought there were parts of the Bible I could avoid. In fact, if you were smart enough or righteous enough, you wouldn't have to encounter all of them. And I, I used to just kind of figure, I want to be a companion of, of, of in the kingdom. But I didn't like the idea that it was sandwiched between tribulation and patience. So I avoided it. 
as far as reading it and confessing and declaring it. But there's no avoidance. You know what tribulation means here? Pressure. 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 And the pressure is going to increase in the last days. It started when the church was born, and it's not going to go away until, the, until we've all fully come into the kingdom. In uh, Acts chapter 14, I think 33, uh, the, uh, the apostles are telling, hold your faith, stay in your faith, have your soul fortified to keep going, because through much tribulation we'll enter into the kingdom. So we go through the pressure. John, Jesus said that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent are pressing through, they're pressing their way in. So tribulation could look like, oh no, this is really hindering the work of the Lord. But really it's, it's a means into the full work of the Lord. Because we decide, I'm not stopping just because the pressure is getting on. I'm pressing through. I'm not going to stop just because the, the testing's on me. I'm going to press through. And there's the kingdom. And to hold the kingdom that I touch in the spirit, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Something we are to enjoy and experience every day in our prayer and throughout our walk. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But then we have to hold the patience. The patience is that joyful, cheerful endurance. Because I don't know about you, but every time I'm in the spirit, I know it's now. Because in the spirit, everything is now. Faith is now. Everything's now. But then I come back into the living out that now, and the now could be a thousand years, or a thousand years could compress into a day. So there's that time element that I have to kind of hold my place. So John's saying, I'm your brother, and I'm your companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. What Jesus walked through, we walk through. What Jesus... Who he is, we are becoming in him, and we walk in this life like he walked with the Father in his life. His earth walk was to submit to the Father in every way, to hear his words and everything, to listen to the truth, and to actually come to the place where his faith became so convinced that God the Father would save him out of death so he could submit to death and know that there was a resurrection anticipated. So this Jesus Christ, his tribulation, kingdom, and patience was on. He, Paul, John says, I was on the Isle of uh, Island that is called Patmos, a prison island like an Alcatraz, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Those are the two things that we're going to continue to have pressure put against us: the living word of God and the testimony we hold of Jesus Christ, the things we've seen and heard of Him in prayer, in life, in, in the spirit, that which we know to be true, that we testify to Jesus Christ, the word of God that we've held. I was in the spirit. Now, I want to say this because this is how you overwhelm the tribulations and the patience element. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So John is sitting on an, a, 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 a penal colony in an island, and he's holding himself there, and he's and if, if I was him, I would probably be shutting down, stopping, start my retirement, forced retirement, going to quit, you know, pray about. And he's just, he's, no, he's in the spirit. Now, what, do you, what does it mean to be in the spirit? Well, it's the opposite of being in the flesh. Anybody know what being in the flesh feels like? Anger or rage or jealousy or envy or capitulation to the church. It, it's the spirit. You're in the spirit. 
There's a, the outer man and the inner man. The inner man is being strengthened with might through the Spirit into our inner man until Christ can dwell in our heart with faith. So even though his circumstances were less than ideal, he was not living in his circumstances. He was in the Spirit. That's what we're practicing today. We're all here practicing being in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, a lot of us don't get here in the Spirit. We got here on a car, drove over, we're angry, frustrated, overwhelmed, complete. But we get into the Spirit with worship. We begin to focus our attention on the Lord. We begin to hear the Spirit rise up inside of us, and we get, we're in the Spirit. And there's amazing things that can happen to every believer who gets in the Spirit. No circumstances of life can control or limit the work of God in the life of a believer when we're in the Spirit. <laughs> because look what happens. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet. So he's, and I love the way God always wants my attention to be drawn to where I'm hearing, and he normally doesn't speak from what I'm staring at. He's just in the Spirit, probably just being grateful, thankful to the Lord Jesus, grateful that he's another day to worship, another day to praise, another day to be in the presence, just enjoying what he's been given in Christ. And all of a sudden behind him, he hears this loud voice like a trumpet. And saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice. This is incredibly important. Every encounter begins with an invitation to follow the voice. If the voice is seen or the, the, the sight is recognized, like the burning bush, you turn to see. He said, I, went, I turned to see the voice. Isn't that funny that the voice of Jesus you can see? I turned to see the voice. And when I turned to see the voice who spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So this flame of these lampstands are standing, and in the midst of them. So they're not little dinky ones. I, I'd imagine there's height of, of a man or, or larger. But in the midst of them was one like the Son of Man. Now, again, the resurrected, glorified Christ, the Messiah, the high priest, with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band, like, like, like the high priestly outfit, but this being him, the high priest, the king of righteousness, the royal priest. His head and hair were white as wool, Again, I love the book of Revelation, if nothing more than imagery that I can behold with my mouth and my eyes to see what it looks like in the, new, in, the, in the place where Jesus occupies. Because that's what I've been told to spend my time thinking about. Set my mind on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And knowing that my life, I'm died and my life is hid with him in, in God. And when he appears, he's gonna, I'm going to appear with him. So my attention is upward. I was made alive together. We were raised together. We're seated together. So I love seeing this. And I, I'll be honest. At first, it was difficult to say, I'm, this is what Jesus looks like today. If you got a close-up um, encounter in heaven, this is, this is who he carries. He says his hair and his eyes were white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass. And, and it was refined in a furnace. So it's like on fire. And his voice is the sound of many waters. 
The only other, no, I won't, it's just, I, I could stop at every one of these verses and camp and there's been so much inside of this. Well, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So we know that in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that the entire glory of God is beheld or seen, experienced, the light lit in our heart by beholding the face of Jesus Christ. So, of course, he's, he's just blaring glory. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now, if there's anyone who walked with Jesus on the earth, who walked with Jesus in the 60 years of ministry after his resurrection, it would be John. And yet, once, once you see Jesus in a glorified encounter like that, you have nothing but to fall down. Remember, the elders fell down, the seraphim fell down, everybody falls down. Jesus stands up, we all fall down. That's, yes, yes, yes. That's what we long for, Jesus to stand up. But he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I always remind myself of that. Every time I'm afraid of death, I remember who's in control of death, who has authority of death, that it isn't the devil anymore. In fact, he's been, he's been sidelined, sidebarred. He's put aside. He has no say over death. And he delivered us through the fear of death. We're always put into slavery. That's why Hebrews is such a strong book, because just in the second chapter, we recognize what has been accomplished in the resurrection that through death, he ate, swallowed death over all of us. That through death, he destroyed him with power of death. That is the devil. And he delivered us that through death, we're always subject to being enslaved for fear of it. So Jesus says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven lamp, golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So now we'll go to chapter 2. There are seven churches that all are addressed by Jesus. And um, I will address the first one and the last two, just because of time's sake. We'll look at Ephesus, we'll look at Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then we'll probably have to close it. Maybe get that far. God help me. That's why we're all reading the book of Revelation. You can go home and read the whole thing. I mean, there's a blessing in it, and there's so much. But let me say this about the book of Revelation. It's a glorious help on the letters. In every letter, Jesus starts by saying, Here's, this is who I am. And it comes, much of it, out of the language of the, of the vision that John saw. Then he will say, I know your works. I know your deeds, however. And it's not... It's, I know isn't like, I'm exp I, I know, I recognize them. I, I can tell you what you're doing. I know your works, which is important because that's how God judges us, by our works. We have a lot of good intentions, but if you remember the story, good intentions pave the road to hell. It's the works. Or as I try to share with myself, experience, I, I tend to judge each, everybody by their works, and I judge myself by my intentions. 
And when, I got, when that reality came to me that I have to judge myself by my works, I couldn't keep using the excuse to Cammy. oh, I'm sorry I'm an hour late. I was doing something really important, but you know I would never want to be late because you're so important to me. And one day the Lord said, everything you do is who you are, not what you think you're doing. <laughs> oh, man, that would take you down. But he says, I know your works. That's how he addresses all seven churches. I know your deeds. And then he will speak to them concerning who they are and what they're doing. And then he'll speak to them what they are to do. So in five of the letters, five of the churches, he'll say, I need you to repent. I need you to think a different thought. I need you to come out of the agreement with where you are. Then he will say to all seven churches, he who overcomes, which is where we get, comes from the root word Nike. It's that subduing, coming out, conquering. He who comes through what I'm saying and comes to the place I'm calling you, he who comes to what I'm calling you to, he who overcomes, and then he gives the rewards. And they're just loaded, each one accelerating uh, as far as the seven churches. Some think the seven churches are seven ages. I don't know. Some think the seven churches are just unique to that time in, uh, in John's writing. Uh, I know that I can find myself in all seven churches and have. And so grateful for the instruction that's to each one of them. So let's begin. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. I know your works. You labor, your patience, and then you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and they're not, and you found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Important, I, I long for returning every day back to my first love. He didn't say you lost your first love. He said you left it. Kind of like in any love relationship, you can walk away from that which was there before. Remember, that's the way out, back. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. So even though we might elevate to all of these levels of authority and capacity, he says, you've left your first love. Now remember where you fell from. And repent. And do the first works. That's what we do, you know. Like some of us could do with having a date night with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I just want to go out with you tonight, wherever you want to be, whatever you want to say. I just want to honor you, love you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, you got to keep the fire burning. Do what you, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. So, whoa. Yet, but this one thing I have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, and he... He had, some say that came out of Nicholas, who was the, one of the first, uh, he was a proselyte from Antioch. He was one of the first deacons. It has a lot to do with the whole um, Balaam spirit, has to do with the idea of, you know, 
basically, we can do what we need to do because we're free from the law, so we can kind of live the way we want to live because the flesh is already evil. It's not going to really matter what you do. You really can't control it, so don't worry about it. Just live in the spirit. That's where grace comes. But whatever happens in the flesh, that doesn't matter, which Jesus hates that because he did not save us to be a people living in sin. He saved us to be a people zealous for good works, caring about in the body the dying of our Lord so that the life of him could be manifest. He he saved us to, to, to become like him, to carry his same attributes, to carry his fruit. So, so whatever, Jesus said, I hate this. And he's going to go into it later with another church, but he says, he who has an ear, this is the third thing he says to every church, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is why we pray every Wednesday. We put ourselves in a position so we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He's not stopped talking because he's got to continue to reveal the things that are Jesus. All things of the Father are Jesus, and the Holy Spirit come to reveal to us all things that are Jesus, to remind us, to guide us, to show us things to come. We need to hear what the Spirit says. And that's why we have to soften our heart every day to stay in agreement with what I'm hearing and not disagree because of what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. So he says, he who overcomes, he who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, wow, beautiful imagery. Isn't it sweet? I love the fact that we're recording, we're receiving, seeing a vision, being, here, being given a vision, so we see it with imagery all over. Because of time's sake, I'm just going to take us to the Laodicean church. I always like the Philadelphia church because it's God's, you know, his favorite one. But I, just for the sake of time, because of the emphasis of the Spirit, I want to just close this up. Uh, so this is chapter 3, verse 14. If these are church ages which it could possibly be, then we would have to be in the last days, probably in this age of the church. It certainly is one I relate to. And I've learned to have a bunch of empathy for how we get here. And I've also really made it a a point in my own life to try to follow the advice, the, the charge of the Lord, so that I can come into the relationship that he's calling me into. So he says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Right. These things says amen. Remember, he said, I'm the amen. The faithful and true witness. We read that. The beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. That you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's not a really good looking picture. But I, I don't read the Bible. First off, I can't do the Bible. But if I value and keep the Bible, then the Bible will soon transform me. It is the, the knowledge of the truth will bring me to Jesus and the freedom will come through Jesus. But I don't want to just discount it because it's like beyond my comprehension or beyond my imagination. Or I certainly don't want to identify with it. But I've been lukewarm. Anybody ever been lukewarm? <laughs> come on, what is lukewarm? It's leaving your coffee out too long. It's just being out of the fire, out of the presence. No prayer. You're lukewarm. No reading the scripture. You'll be lukewarm. It's not hard to be lukewarm. Just come out from the fire. Now, if it's, at least he'd rather have iced coffee than just room temperature coffee. Right? Room temperature. That's when we become more, just as, just as much like the world as the world is to the world. 
We feel the same way. We have the same attitude. We have the same language. We say the same words. We watch the same stuff. We do the same things. That's lukewarm. Now, it isn't because often I think you want to get there. I think we get out of a out of recognition that you cannot bring a spiritual life forward unless you bring it through the Spirit. You cannot project yourself. Or as we used to say, you can't fake it till you make it. You are what you are only before God. And you cannot be anything more than what you are before God. So there's a so he says, because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Now, I used to think, oh, you awful Laodiceans. I can't believe you just go around and say, I'm rich, and I'm wealthy, and I've need of nothing. Until I realized in this present age, I don't think the church is given much opportunity to grow up into the fullness of Christ because we've been trying to project ourselves to be something that we're not. And so we try to confess our richness and wealth when we're really not. We don't recognize where we're starting from, so we try to just jump away from where we are. And we're not trying to do that because we're trying to hold a good place. You know, when you're always that demanded upon, when somebody says, show, me, show up, do this, accomplish that, you, you're, you can tend to just start trying to hold that place in the flesh and not in the spirit. Right. So he says to the, everyone, uh, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, there's no, there is no shame in telling the Lord when you recognize, hey, I am wretched. You know what wretched is? It's only used one other time. It's in the book of Romans chapter 7 when Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this death? What was the death? The sin that's in the flesh that we try to conquer with the law. He says, this is an impossible situation. The more I try to do the law, the more the sin becomes alive in me. This is a miserable place. But I thank God I am delivered through Jesus Christ. So that's a wretched man, is a legalistic Christian. Now, what is a miserable man? That's found in only one other time, 1 Corinthians 15. It is someone who's trying to get all of Jesus in this life. Or put it this way, he said, for those who only think that Jesus is a benefit in this life are most to be pitied. There is so much of Jesus Christ that we will not touch until this next life. There's so much of this resurrection, this new body, this, this ruling with the Lord that, that, that is worth this, what, wherever we're going through. So he says, you don't know. You're wretched and miserable. You're doing things. You're poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. So that's... That's that exchange place. That's like when the, the five widow, the five virgins who were foolish, who didn't bring the oil, found their lamps going out, and they go to the five wise, and they say, give us some oil. And they said, no, because if we give you oil, then both, we won't have enough either. So you go to the, where they sell it and buy it. That's the purchasing. That's what prayer is, is so much a part of life. You, you, you grow the supply of the spirit in your life of prayer. Paul said it in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I know I'm going to get delivered out of, this, out of this Roman jail because of your prayers and the supply of the Spirit. Yeah. What, is, what does prayer turn into? A supply of the Spirit. Where does prayer go? Up into heaven. It holds itself in a bowl. When it's fulfilled and it's time to release, what does God always use to change the earth? The prayers that have already been prayed. He mixes them with the coals and he sends them on the earth with voices and earthquakes and all manner of disruption. So, 
That's what we're doing. Never think your prayer is just to try to, you know, sort out your life and have a better day. Thank God that's a benefit. But the real, benef- the real thing is I'm, I'm, I'm growing a supply of the Spirit. Because we're all going to sleep and all going to slumber. And we're all going to be heralded with the bridegroom comes. And we're all going to wake up. And then we're going to trim. We're going to try to reconnect. And that's where the disconnect is not. You don't want to find that place. We're building it. We're building the strong. He said, I want you to get gold refined in fire. I want you to be, so you can be rich. I want you rich. I want you rich in, in who I am and what I provide. I want you to have white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Jesus saved us naked. And he didn't decide to remove our nakedness. He covers us with his right garments that we make white with the blood of the lamb through our practicing of accessing what has been accomplished and appropriating it. So it's interesting that he wants us. In fact, all scripture study and practice in Hebrews is to be done naked. Not physically, not naturally, but honestly, because I am naked before him. So I don't come in and give him a bunch of lines, tell him all these things I think he wants me to hear. I don't say I'm rich. I, it's, you be in that encounter with him. And, that the sh- and he said that you, um, the oil, to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So I take these on personally. I said, Lord, please, I, I don't know what it means to buy from you gold refined in fire, but that's what my desire is, what I must let go of in order to receive this. I don't want to put my trust somewhere else when it's here. I don't, want what it, I don't know what these white garments are other than I know that my life has to be under uh, the having made, being made white by the, by the sprinkling of my conscience, my evil conscience, my heart being made right. I want to be in that place with you. I want to not be, have my nakedness to be revealed. I want you to cover me in your, in your clothing, in your glory. I want to anoint my eyes. And I'll just, converse, I'll just converse with him on this. And said, Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And if you were to take a sidebar with me this afternoon, I, we won't take the time, but we'd go all, read through the entire book of, no, the entire 12th chapter of Hebrews. The benefits of this encounter is to being able to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's to walk into the divine nature of God. It's to come out from the pressure of the race that we're running that's becoming so tiresome. It's to be able to endure the cross and despise its shame and to, and to be able to withstand hostility of sinful men and to be under the discipline of the Father so that we can partake of his nature. It means that we can come out of uh, uh, bitterness and into forgiveness. We can, we can bring our feeble knees and our, 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 lame, our, our lameness and have it... He- not dislocated, but made whole. It, makes, it means that we don't have to be like uh, uh, Esau who said, you know, I don't, even know, I don't even know what the importance of this birthright stuff is anyway and whatever. And then one day realize I gave up my birthright and I can't now get the blessing. I devalued what God gave me. So now I can't get the blessing of his company. To, and then Esau cried and cried and cried and wasn't hurt. It's just a crazy, and to go to Mount Zion, to the new Jerusalem, the city of our God, 
to the innumerable company of angels, to the, to the general assembly of the firstborn, the church. Oh, to God, the judge of all, the ju- spirits of just men made perfect, to, the, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. This is all in Hebrews 12. And it just happens through the simple beginning chapter 12, verse 1. He says, now listen, I, I want you to, um, putting aside every weight, and sin that so easily besets us. Let's run with endurance the race set before us. And look to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, who is the originator and the completer, who is faith himself carrying us. And go for it, because he, for the joy set before him, despised the shame. He endured the cross, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Now remember that for a moment. We'll close with this. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Our heart. I'm standing at your door. I'm standing every day. That's why we pray. I want to hear his voice. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door. So we open the door to Jesus coming in. Lord, I welcome you. I welcome you. I just welcome you. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It is such a point of connection and intimacy. I can't say he leaves your heart the way it was. In fact, I think sometimes I felt like he's sitting in my kitchen, we're having a meal, and he says, you know, I think we've got to change the way this whole place looks. And now I know what that means. It means I'm going to hurt somewhere. <laughs> and I'm going to be discombobulated dis- dis- in some kind of fashion. My value systems are going to be disrupted. My belief system probably going to be challenged. But I learned that what I, whatever you want to do, just do it. Because whatever I gained is to lose so I can gain you. So it's beautiful. But he says, now, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So for years, when this was really becoming important to me, I read these, and I said, Lord, what does it mean to overcome? Does it mean like I overwhelmed whatever was taking over me? Does it mean like I'm, I've already got it down, I'm, I'm doing it right? And it was at Hebrews 12, too, that really helped me. He said that we're to look to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of God. I put the two scriptures together. He says, he who overcomes, he who overcomes will sit with me on my throne as I overcame. And now we find out, what did he do? To, what did he do? He endured the cross. He stayed in the situation he was in that the Father placed him in. And he kept his faith engaged in the Father. And he went beyond the suffering that he was currently incurring. And he even went beyond the death that was imminent upon him. And he said, my God can save me out of death. So I'm not stopping death. I'll let death be swallowed up in his victory. uh, This strength that comes. And again, the rest of Hebrews 12, please take time to read it. You You will empower us to stand in our place. But... I think I'm going to stop. Wow, I can't wait to Saturday. I mean, Jesus, I love you more than anything in this world. 
And yet I often become attracted to many other things that are in this world. Jesus, we are a people that have been separated unto you, zealous for good works. That you have for the, you've placed us in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come you could show the riches of your, of your good and the glory of your goodness and being kind to us. Jesus, we thank you. This is just the message of the churches. Then the, then the, the real end starts going. But, but we pause right now. I do. I feel the fear of God growing in the earth over me concerning all the things around me. Not for a fear that would take me into a legalistic response or an external act, but my heart. I bow my heart. I humble myself. Lord, you love your church more than anything. And you're zealous for us. And therefore, you will bring us into conformity into who you are and submission to who you are. And, and, and uh, Lord, would you help us? Would you help each one of us so we're not on our own having to fake it to make it? We can be honest and sincere. We can look to you. You're the author. You're the cause. And you're the completion of faith. You had joy set before you. To fulfill the Father's will. To bring him pleasure in in your submission. To allow yourself to be made an offering for sin. So that you might be raised for the justification of all men. You had faith. I believe right now the Lord would grant each and every one of us here in the house and online an opportunity to unload assumptions and efforts that we feel we are responsible to hold that are more encumbering and stopping us from receiving the riches that are in his gold and the white garments that are to cover our nakedness and the eyes have to see. I believe there is a, a parallel. In fact, in this chapter today, if you go to our Bible reading, you'll see it, Zechariah chapter 3. I believe there's a correlation between Jack, Joshua the high priest standing to minister but covered in filthy garments and, the, and Satan standing in his right hand to accuse him and the Lord stepping up and rebuking Satan then changing the garments and making promise. If you would like or you feel, hey, I, I, I want a wardrobe change. Would you stand up with me? I, I don't know how to ask you to. You know, just you, uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to go around saying I'm, you know, rich, wealthy, in need of nothing. I need Jesus. In this present moment, I want him in my heart in a big way. Mm. So I think a simple prayer is to say, say this, Jesus, I want to hear your voice. I want to open my heart upon hearing your voice. I want you to come in, and I want you to dine with me. At this current juncture of time, in this place where I'm living, come in. Come in. 
Now, with the picture of Joshua in your mind, you're standing at the barbecue pit trying to hold the altar for all those years, 14 plus years, that could never build. He's still trying to be faithful as a priest, but he has no real grace over his life. Now the, now the prophetic word has started in the exodus time, and this worn-out wardrobe that he's been wearing that's got the soil of humanity. That's what it means by filthy garments. It's the excrement. It's the sweat. It's the everything. And Satan's there to tag you on all of that stuff. And, he, and the Lord comes and stands before Satan, and he says, you, I rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. This is a brand plucked from the fire. So I want you to hear the Lord say that over, over your adversary over the accuser in your mind, over where you are. Yes, we've held our place the best we can, and we are where we are, and the devil certainly has enough on us if he was to take us out. But hear the Lord say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, the accuser, the adversary, the seducer, the traducer. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is this not a brand, a smoking wick, a fiery, burnt twig I pulled out of the fire? I accept this one. Whoa. Receive the Lord stepping in between you and the accuser. Receive the Lord defending you through his son, Jesus Christ. Receive the Lord saying, you have no claim. No matter what they've been through, where they've been, I declare today they're mine. Whoa, whoa, praise you, Jesus, praise you, praise you. Now, here the Lord declared to the angels around us, I want you to change their garments, take off the soiled garments of humanity and bring upon them the rich robes of righteousness, the priestly garments, the bridal garments. Now, let the Lord, I, I believe you can, you, you, you begin to, you're going to, we're going to walk in a new covering. We're going to walk in the white garments that, are, that have caused the shame of our nakedness not to be seen and makes us that place before the Lord. Whoa. By faith, just receive the, the, the garment change. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, praise you. Now, Zechariah, the prophet, saw this trans action taking place and so he immediately says put a new turban on his head put a new turban on his head and the turban to me is the mindset change my mindset change the way I'm looking at things how I'm seeing things and how I'm hearing things give me the mindset of a priest give me the mindset of a king change the mindset and so the angels put a clean brilliant turban the high priest had a turban it was a part of that part of the mindset the separation I don't know, maybe just place your hands on your head. Lord, put a moon mindset on me. I want to think like you think. I want to talk like you talk. I want to live like you live. Hallelujah. I don't want to be limited. I don't want to live in the limitation of my own life, the deadness of my own body. I want to live in the unlimitedness of who you are. Praise you. I want to hear promises of speak of access. I want to walk in among the fiery stones. I want to be in your glorious presence. Shalabadelaba. Whoa, 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 whoa. Praise you, 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 praise you. 
crazy. This is, this is what, I like, this is what laying of hands is. I'm laying hands on me. <laughs> I'm laying hands on me, Lord. Me, a new mindset, a new inner healing, a new transformation of my inner man. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hala, hala, halala. Oh, 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 Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. And just lift up your hands. We're going to close, but just lift up your hands and just say, Lord, I'm here for you. You're here for me. But more importantly now, I'm here for you. Bring me into what you're doing, where you are, who you are, and how you're doing it. I submit. I surrender. If you surrendered to Father, I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, I do. In Jesus' name, I do. Isn't that what's going to happen when we get married? Do you submit? I do. Will you do everything he says for all eternity? I do. Do you accept him as the head of this union? The Lord of lords, king of kings? I do. Why don't we practice? Say, I do. I do. Whoa. <laughs> He's coming. He's going to lift off burdens. He's going to help people. He's a defender of the fatherless. He comes to be a defender of the widows. Whoa! Whoa! The Lord, as we go out, I pray that where we have yielded and surrendered to where you've come and what you're speaking, would you now demonstrate in the new paradigm of the new way we relate and are related to you in by showing us your signs and your wonders and your help because you are our defender and you are our king. And you are our bridegroom lover and our redeemer. So we praise you. Lord, in Jesus' name, do so. In Jesus' name, amen.